Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Chapters 19, 20, and 21 of Alcuin's Treatise on Virtues and Vices deal with what could be called matters of justice and injustice, and indeed are, to some degree, political matters. He's writing to Count Guy, who is not a monk like himself, but somebody who is secular, out in the world, and indeed is part of the nobility. So this is very relevant to him, but it's also a very relevant to anybody else who would be thinking about virtues and vices because this deals with the way in which society works. And so one chapter is specifically about avoiding fraud, right? Another has to do with judges. And then there's this issue of false witnesses. And there's some discussion about judges in there going on as well. So the central concern for all three of these longish chapters is indeed about justice and injustice. Justice is one of the four cardinal virtues, which he is going to discuss later. So these would all fall under that. And there's also a particular vice that is not, you know, the only one that has sway here, but figures centrally and leads to injustice. And that is of greed or avarice, one of the eight capital vices or the seven deadly sins. And so when it comes to fraud, he says, the Lord himself who admonishes us to be generous from our substance to the poor and wretched, because he's just been talking about a little bit earlier, giving alms, forbids us all avarice and unjust acquisition of money. And he quotes several scriptural passages saying, do not defraud each other. Now, is this fraud in the very strict sense that we define it in our legal codes? No, it means any sort of way of cheating somebody out of their money. So hiring somebody and then not paying them could be considered fraud in this respect. Selling somebody, you know, something under false pretenses, you're not actually the owner of it. And we could go on and on and on. And Alcuin thinks that there's a mistaken viewpoint involved here. He dwells less on the harm or damage that is being done to the victim of fraud. And he lingers much more over the mistaken viewpoint that, that happens. He says, he who by any kind of fraud acquires something, because you do get something out of uh, fraud, loses justice and equity. Say avariciously, say greedily, say wickedly, what have you acquired? And so the person who's committing fraud can say, well, you know, I got over on somebody or I cheated them out of something and I wanted to get that SOB because they did that to me. Or I just wanted to make a buck. You know, everybody's got to make a living. We all got to eat, right? People have a million different justifications for what it is that they do when they're committing injustice. And he says, you have gotten something, but you've lost much more. You've lost faith through injustice. If in the market you were finding faith for sale, if you were good, to what would you compare it? You know, if you balance these things out, the higher spiritual goods and the corporeal goods that you're allowing to drive you, you're, you're making a mistake, a fundamental mistake. And he talks about, you know, the avaricious person. He says, why do you fear to lose your money 
And you don't fear that you will wholly perish for the sake of acquiring money. You say false testimony, you lie, you snatch another's things, you take an oath, you commit perjury. Since you do all these things, why do you not fear? Why avaricious person do you love gold more than your soul? What is it going to profit you in the long run? And towards the end, he actually says nothing is worse than the avaricious man who holds his soul cheap for the sake of the desire of riches. This is a really screwed up way of looking at things. Avarice, the vice that one has, ignores measure, and when it devours everything, does not know how to be sated inwardly. It is always hungry and needy. The avaricious man is like a depth which is never filled. So the avaricious person, the greedy person who's going to commit fraud, is driven by this vice to do things which will not satisfy them. You can't satisfy the greed of those who always want more and more and more. Even though the promise of committing these fraudulent actions that, that harm oneself and harm one's neighbor are that somehow it's going to satisfy one, right? And so that's some useful stuff to keep in mind. You could say the rubber hits the road with judges in the next chapter. And he says that everyone who judges rightly, let him bear the balance. You know, there's that metaphor of, of justice having the balance in his hand. And there's a lot of ways in which this has to take place. How do you, in fact, judge rightly? How do you enact justice within the world? Justice has to be done through judgment. So your own judgment and the judgment that you render, if you're placed in a position to exercise power over other people, and you know, given that some people are going to commit fraud, how are you going to handle that? And there's a couple different factors here that Alcuin is going to point out. The first that he brings up is the need to balance justice on the one side with mercy on the other side or compassion, right? Misericordia. This is a very common theme in medieval discussions of justice. So he says, for the sake of justice, the judge must return sentence for sins for doing wrong. For the sake of mercy, moderate the punishment, right? So a judge shouldn't just decide every single case exactly the same, they should, you know, look at the circumstances and try not to be taken in by liars, right? Then he discusses an entire host of ways in which judges can be unsuitable. They're not good judges or even wicked or themselves unjust. They pervert justice. And one prime example of this, he says, is accepting gifts in judgment. Why? Because gifts blind the hearts of the prudent and turn the hearts of the just from God. So that's a big problem. You shouldn't be taking bribes or gifts or anything like that. He also talks about not being an acceptor of persons, not giving priority to some people over others. But another one that would tie in with the unsuitable you can't let a stupid person be a judge, right? He goes on and he says, the stupid man through laziness is ignorant of justice, right? So that's problematic. It's not enough just to be a straight shooter. You also got to have some brains in order to be a decent judge. And then he goes on and he talks about the dishonest. The dishonest through cupidity, through desire for things, subverts the truth itself, which he has learned. The poor are lacerated almost more gravely by wicked judges than by the cruelest enemies for no robbers as desirous of other things as an unjust judge is. The unjust judge is really a 
a fraud committer rather than a fraud preventer, rectifier, and punisher. And he goes on as well and talks about good judges might have bad ministers. You know, they have to check on that. Sometimes judges, for the sake of their desire, delay or pervert judgment. They keep holding people out. And he goes on and he talks about another kind of judge that we have to avoid as well. An irascible judge, a judge who is motivated by anger or who is easily moved to anger, he says, uh, such a judge is not able to consider an examination attentively because, I love this expression, from the gloom of fury, they get angry at other people. They do not see the clarity of justice. So that's very problematic. What is something that can keep judges on track? Well, fearing God, he says. If you fear God as a judge who is the judge of you, you are not the only judge. You're, not, you're less likely to engage in these duplicitous or predatory arrangements. This is probably you know, quite true. Let the judge fear God the judge, lest perhaps he be damned by God judging. Now, you know, what do we do with judges who don't uh, acknowledge anything higher than them? Well, they're probably going to be bad judges, according to Alcuin. And then we have this chapter on false witness. And he says that false witness can include hiding the truth, right? But it can also include lying itself. And he says that each equally is a criminal, both he who hides the truth and he who says a lie. Why? The one who does not want to do good, the other desires to do harm. So telling lies is doing harm and concealing the truth is not wanting to do good. It could also be trying to engage in harm as well, you could think of. And here he says something really interesting. There's three ways that the lying witness, the false witness, uh, is going to be obnoxious. And this is actually an English translation of the Latin term obnoxious. Right? So coming from deadly or something like that. It's against God, it's against the judge, and also against the innocent person. So he says, first to God, whose presence he condemns. If you're lying, you're in a certain way opposing yourself to God, right? And you're also being obnoxious to the judge who you're trying to deceive by lying. And then, of course, to the innocent whom he injures by false testimony. So lying is a, a mode of doing injustice, of wronging another person. And then he talks about four ways that justice winds up being subverted in judgments. And some of this applies to the people lying. Some of this applies to the judges. What are these? Well, you notice these are four kinds of human affectivity, feelings, emotions, right? Fear, cupidity, so fear and desire, hate and love. These very, very basic human emotions can go wrong. He says, by fear, when anyone dreads to say or judge the truth for fear of the power of someone, right? So we can be motivated by fear to not tell the truth about something, to even lie about it. The judge could be threatened and try to give a bad judgment to stay out of harm's way or keep their family out of harm's way. Then he says, by cupidity, when a judge is corrupted by the reward of some gift. So it's not just liars. Judges can be corrupted by their own 
unbridled desires, right? That seeking out gifts. Hate when he desires to harm another for the sake of any kind of enmity or hatred. That could apply to witnesses. That could apply to the judge as well. And then by love, when a more powerful man defends friends or relatives against justice, this is a big problem. People, you know, often try to get their sentences reduced or they don't want to be called a felon or they get community service or pick whatever you want because they deserve it, meaning that they actually have powerful people on their side. And he says, by these four ways, equity of judgment is often subverted and innocence is harmed, right? So this is indeed problematic. And then he's got a reminder about if you manage to escape justice in this life, those who are oppressed quickly finish their temporal misery, but those who oppress them through injustice will be condemned. Indeed, here the good are often judged by the bad. You know, in this world, very oftentimes we get bad judges, we get bad witnesses, we get people doing all sorts of harm. But in the future life, the evil are judged by the good. And so in terms of, you know, the, the big picture, the long-term thing, uh, we go back to the fraud thing. There's a mistaken conception of what's really good for a person. This leads them to engaging in injustice, which is injurious, which is unjust, which is harmful to the innocent and which the good judge is going to have to do something about. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.